Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Turning a page today on the show. Turning a page on the post libertarian moment. Let's get rid of this thing. We are also, if you're listening to the recording of this live on YouTube and live on Twitter as well, you can also check out this show on Rumble. And of course, go to binawake.com, subscribe with your email. That way you can get it wherever and however you want to consume the content that we produce here, that I produce here. But you're a part of it the people who are listening because without you this there really wouldn't be any point to this and in fact people would think i'm crazy and maybe some people will still say that i am not really that was that was weird um today so yeah so last show we talked a lot about you know we talked a lot about geopolitics and uh you know the current events with ukraine today's show though i want to close the loop on the essay that I wrote, I think I released, I don't even remember. Did I release this in uh, the post uh, defining the post libertarian moment, which, you know, for some people, for some people, right. And this is a completely fair statement. Some people who aren't on the inside, let's say of a, um, you know, of, of a certain network of shows, podcasts, heavily speaking, that all deal with the su- the broad subject of libertarianism. You know, if you're not part of that in-group, there's some, you might think that this is an episode that you shouldn't listen to, right? Like, why do I care about the post-libertarian prescription? And you can take that path, but if you're already here, you may as well stick around because I do think, despite all the con- despite all the criticisms one might have, and I've maintained this, I, I, you know, you can go back and you can listen to the earlier episodes kind of before, before anybody was talking about the term post-libertarian or ism, which there is no ism, not, not as such. Um, so you can go back and you can say this is, this is a through line that, of that at the end of the day, there are some things that libertarians get right. And I do, I would maintain the position as well that there is a, um, What's interesting in particular about the whatever the liberty movement, libertarianism in America specifically is, but it has there, you know, it does have global connections, is the degree to which it can be looked at as a microcosm, right? So as a, like a smaller portion, a smaller sampling size of a broader population that is manifesting the same uh, behavioral patterns, right? So, and I think, and I think there's a couple of reasons for this. One in particular that I become fond of saying is I think one thing that one thing that it draws people to the idea of libertarianism is compromise. And, and in fact, you know, in your in your in your upbringing in school, when you take history classes, if you paid attention, there's a great deal given to the idea of compromise as well. And I think if you look at the world post war, if you look at the world as it exists post World War II reality as it exists post-World War II. The world, the, the world that existed a little bit before, but specifically after post-World War II, 
had a lot that could had a lot to benefit from a libertarian prescription. That prescription, you know, generally speaking, being unrestricted free trade, little to no regulation on businesses, um, you know, a, a secondary from that, maybe like a decentralization of political power, not having a strong federal government. There are monetary arguments associated with it as well. Some would say that's the core. I would agree with that to part. And then there's, and then of course, if you were to try and put this, but then of course, when you try to put this into a cohesive group, the political axiom that at some point stuck was the what was termed as the non-aggression principle. And I think if we look again at the non-aggression principle, it is a fantastic compromise position because it says, if you let me do me, then I will let you do you. It's 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 so reasonable. It's so reasonable that when you that when you discover the idea, you wonder you wonder how it is this hasn't taken off quite yet. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk. But and so and that's why I think even if you're not a libertarian, talking about this post-libertarian moment that occurred. There have been other there have been other shavings off, right? There have been other times at which people have broken off from movement. And of course, that should tell you something about politics, or I guess more democratic politics if you'd like. But that should tell you something about politics too, if you can go and trace that in different instances, right? And and of course you can do that. You can actually see certain groups leaving and coming back to certain uh, you know, to supporting a, a particular politician. Why? I think for better or worse, politics in that democratic politics and that we conceive of it today has a tendency to which it maps onto parts of our personality, right? So we want parts of our personality of our temperament reflected in the governing body around us. And we're also taught that we have a choice in the matter and that we have a say in the matter and that everybody has a say in the matter, right? That is the idea of one man, one vote or woman as the case may be. So the, so, so we have that kind of within us. And so again, we come back to this idea of libertarianism. And again, I say, I, I do think, and I mean this in the best of senses that it is a compromise position. And so I think you had people of multiple personality types Right, like like opposite personality types, right? Like the types of personalities that don't necessarily go well together in in other circumstances. But on this they could come to you know, because it was because it's such an appeal to reason, right? Because it's such an appeal to reason, people who are reasonable tend to look at this and say, Yeah, that actually doesn't doesn't hurt anything. That's that's that sounds like a pretty good idea. It sounds like a pretty good idea. And and I would still say that there is a um there's a lot of good in the ideas as well. But the point, so the point of the, the as we're going to get into here, the point is really about political prescriptions. And so as pol, as, as the nature of politics is changing before our eyes, I think it's, it, that's one of the reasons why you see the schisms popping up that you do. Because they've gotten far more pronounced. And I don't think it's just a consequence of me. Well, I mean, maybe it is, but it's not just a consequence of like paying closer attention on my own side of things, given that um, 
given you know given that I have a show and so it's kind of like part of what I do to take a closer look at different things that are happening within a news within given a given news cycle or you know subculture as it will as you, if you will that I might belong to so i what's what's really exciting about what we get in tonight is is the idea of where i think think things can go which is far more interesting and i think if you come in with an open mind you're going to see what you're going to see things from a different angle that you probably hadn't considered yet and you're going to understand why somebody might have a post libertarian moment there's a degree to which the idea is timeless and there's a there is an also a degree to which that idea belongs in a place of time so it has it does have both elements to it so let's begin. We left off. Um, we left off with well, I don't even remember what comes before. The point is where what it is or what it is, why it happened. Why it happened is where we left off. Now I want to address, and I'm glad we're kind of taking this away off the front. I want to address what it is not, right? Like what what the post-libertarian moment is not. And this is important because, of course. Well, let's just get into it. The post-libertarian moment. See, this is the funny thing, right? Because in podcasting, you it's all about being extemporaneous. But I have this component with the reading. And it's. It, I, I remembered that, you know, this is an essay. And so I definitely explained what I'm trying to say more thoroughly than I would otherwise. The post-libertarian moment is not about race essentialism. This is very, very key. Reacting to the race essentialism of progressives only serves the regime. The, quote, alt-right were stooges who chose to follow the red herring of racism along with most of left-wing America and all of popular culture. Racism in America is the oldest and most persistent method of social control. The Praxian recognizes how elites exert social control and design against it. The post-libertarian moment is not about embracing statism, quote-unquote. The statism paradigm popularized within libertarianism is outdated in a world where Facebook controls what you are allowed to see more than the U.S. government does, or can. Does it? Or can. Quote, Corporate responsibility is just as useful an avenue of implementing a radical progressive agenda as the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the Department of Education is in 2021, 2022 now as we read this. The Praxian accounts for this. Racism is the is America, racism in America is the oldest and most persistent method of social control. You know what's really useful about that statement? Is that it is accurate as far back as you go in American history. Racism is the oldest and most persistent method of social control. If you're within the cults of American democracy, as I like to call it, and I'm not even using cult in a pejorative sense, there is a cult of American democracy. They are the people who, no matter 
what else happens in the world they know the right opinion to have about a specific news topic based on their political identity. It's, 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 a, it's a necessary function, by the way, of a complicated society. Every person cannot dedicate themselves to understanding like everything that is happening in the world. You need specialization. What specialization in the division of labor allows for a group of people, for a society, for, for a people or a society or a civilization, as the case may be, what it allows for is more complexity on top of that because people who specialize can you know, learn more about one specific subject than somebody who's trying to learn a little bit about everything. This is, a, this is basic, right? But it's generally speaking not part of the conversation when we're talking about how, I don't know, how society operates. One of the things that has been, that has existed, I, you know, you can put a scientific date on it if you want, but you can also argue that, again, it has a, it has a place in time and it also has a perennial aspect to it. You see it repeated in different points in history. And that's this idea of trying to control a population. Ruling, right? And generally speaking, that body which rules over people, we call the state. And what do libertarians call the state? This is, by the way, the one thing libertarianism gets right that nobody can refute. In that libertarianism has any sort of unique uh, properties unto itself as a political philosophy. It is defining, and I guess if somebody wants to quibble with me on that, I'd be open to being corrected. But to make my point less dramatically now, um, it is their definition of what the state is. The idea that the state being that institution within society that has the monopoly on violence. Now, what a lot of the 20th century, late 20th century libertarians who were out there, the late 20th century libertarians tried to do was basically show rationally in some cases scientifically in those in that those terms have crossover the idea that you didn't need to have this monopoly on violence within a society and i think rationally speaking you can still understand how that has some sort of flow to it it would be a difficult conversation to try and convince somebody out of that position because it, it holds on to enough, I, I should think. Now, some people from that would, you know, go maybe the step of anarchy. I, you know, I look at these, I, I look at these things as um, vehicles with which you can like use to get somewhere. So for me, it's more about, uh, like I say, I'm, I'm more directional than destination. I'm just trying to move in the right direction. And so what I can learn from people moving in the same direction is great. Um, but anyway, we're talking about, but this is really important because this is what the, because this is, this is the common thing. I've, in fact, I've seen it right. Like since releasing this and, and you know, it's, I've seen the way people talk about it. And of course some, you know, I've, I've talked about a couple of times how somebody put out a video that said, uh, you know, that, that said that this is just like somebody who, somebody who did go alt, right. Christopher Cantwell. So this isn't about race essentialism. That's not how I look at things, you know. I, and that's kind of how what what automatically happens when you uh, 
when you have a more biological perspective on things is you don't like to the, to the extent that we categorize around race isn't, isn't a, like, wouldn't be my choice per se, but I'm also not going to, but it also is the way people tend to categorize because it's so noticeable, right? So it's an easy thing to categorize. And if it's easier to do, you might just do it. The point being you can categorize, you can notice racial or better said, really ethnic differences because most of that stuff, most of that stuff I would argue actually boils down to ethnic, what, what, what most people would refer to as ethnicity. It's really just like a bone structure and pigment different differentiations. And there's some epigenetic things, but anyway, I'm rambling. I'm, ra- <laughs> I'm rambling because a, it's a podcast, but B, because this is one of those issues that you have to be so careful with your words in modern society. And what's funny is even though I, you know, it's, yeah, it's just funny. It's funny how even in those moments, I'm trying to make sure that I'm being very precise because racism in America is the oldest and most persistent method of social control. It doesn't matter if that racism is being directed at African slaves brought here against their will to the, to recently freed slaves in the Jim Crow, what would become the Jim Crow South. Or the, ra- or, the, or the racism of the Martin Luther King era about the radicals. Or we could argue with the racism that's directed at groups, uh, the, at the, at groups other than blacks. Because it doesn't just go white and black. If, it's to ha- if a word is to have any like cachet. In the American story, it has gone one direction for most of its history. But in that that's changing you'll note that you're still allowed to think less than of certain groups in our culture. And generally speaking, ironically enough, in that this is popularized in like the woke narrative, this is, you know, I was just, just saw this is as I'm recording this, there was the, the Boston, the mayor of Boston was having, was at the St. Patrick's day breakfast. Now, I, I wasn't I wasn't planning on speaking about this story, but it was the St. Patrick's Day breakfast. Okay, so you know, there's so first there's just, you know, you might have some respect given, you know, like how many people think St. Patrick is an important figure in their faith. But, you know, it was she tried so what she did was she tried to make a joke about um she tried to make a joke about how she was having some about like how things were going in her term and but that that this is, you know, getting better and it was like you know, putting out firefighter unions was like the setup. And then the second, and then the punch was supposed to be something about like that. Um, she's running into roadblocks that are something, something and white. And then the, and then it was like, Oh, I meant snowflakes. So this is, again, this is becoming popularized within the mainstream. The people who would, you basically can say like, yeah, I can see that a little bit, but it doesn't matter because, Right. Generally speaking, you know, why, why am I going to be upset about a white cis man, as the case may be, being uh, being ridiculed. Right. And being the and being the butt of people's jokes, because, you know, otherwise they tend to have it pretty good. That that would be one of the responses. The other response would be to just flat out ignore the fact that it exists. Right. You would minimize it. You wouldn't ignore it, because if you would ignore it, then like they're doing the same thing that you accuse your enemy of doing and people wouldn't be in consistent would they oh wait yeah that's right they would but so the boston mayor can say something like that and it doesn't really matter because people will reconcile it because in politics the moral edge goes to the person you already agree with that's the point of social control 
the point of social control isn't that nobody actually, to a certain extent, and as we certainly see as a result of our modern culture, right, where we see the elevation of, of what you can call black culture. No issues, by the way. I was just watching the Kanye documentary and reminded how much I loved rap growing up. And like how much hip hop, how how cool I thought hip hop was, and you know, then then I was a almost thirty year old man who was saying how different hip hop is today in his brain, and now he says it on his podcast. But that's again, that's just another point why I wanted to include this in the essay of what it's not, because this is here for the record. I know what people will say about me if this, if if I ever, or I guess when been awake becomes something that thousands of people read a day. And thanks to people like you who are listening right now, we're coming, we're, we're coming close to that. By the way, download the new Substack app on the iPhone if you haven't already. So that's what it's not. And if, and if you hear any of the LP people out there, if you hear anything like that, and you, you, know, you can point them in my direction, because it ain't true. Let's talk about what it means, because that's the next section. Though many, though many would choose to, it is not wise to live in a moment. It doesn't matter whether that moment is with Ayn Rand in 1960, Ron Paul in 2008, or some future place where all your dreams come true. Some will face the post-libertarian moment reject it, and remain unchanged. The Praxian, by contrast, embraces the moment, consumes its significance, and begins to ask new questions as a result. Now, this concept of the Praxian is put forth by my friend Andrew, Popular Liberty, as you might, as, as most people know him by uh, his Twitter handle. So his, this is his differentiator, his thing for what happens, uh, what, what, what the what the libertarian who go who you know feels the way that they do or who who were was were basically shaken awake by the lockdowns well, that, this is another name they could call themselves a praxian and of course the focus is less on an academic rigor and more on an application of what ideas are and what the ideas should be you know human in my case you know human freedom i won't pretend i won't pretend to speak for everybody but i would say they generally agree with me so the praxian by so i start to contrast in this the the libertarian and the praxian for um well because it makes it easier to understand the libertarian prescription to the post-war order is out of date what might have helped the so-called liberal democracies of the late 20th century will not work as we enter a new decade a narrow libertarianism focuses on quote the state and just and justifies corporate tyranny you could also maybe substitute in there not just corporate tyranny but just but just uh, would would maybe justify or ignore some of the the degree to which a corporation can kind of grind people up and use them right we like it's it's better than it's better than what most human beings have had to deal with for most of human history however comma Sometimes it can be bad, right? We, you know, sometimes people have poor working conditions. That's fair. What's funny is I probably wouldn't even try to make an t- 
talk like this a few years ago because of like ideological commitment. So even though mentally speaking, you would rationalize and you could understand that, yes, there are bad corporations out there. When you would talk to people about corporate greed, let's say, you wouldn't choose to um, empathize with them or try to find agreement on that because you want to hit the point that, no, you don't understand the corporations are private. Sound familiar? So the narrow, a narrow libertarianism focuses on opposition to the duopoly, right? This is a narrow libertarianism is found in the libertarian party while ignoring the incentive of power. This is something I came to, by the way. This would be this would be part of what created that evolution. But let's finish reading. A narrow libertarianism defends an unrealized ideal online, but scoffs at the idea of taking steps to make so much money taxation is a nuisance. The idea of freedom or liberty is much older than the libertarian label or the United States of America. The hubris of every age is thinking there is no more growth possible. Libertarians would do well to not fall victim to the same malady. So I used narrow libertarianism because within the literature of the school, you'll find uh, arguments between thick and thin libertarianism. And of course, narrow is definitely an allegory towards thin a little bit. But as you can see, it's being used in a specific way to particularly point out what I see as the failings of a uh, uh, like the type of libertarian analysis that is failing where we are and, and doesn't quite understand where things are headed over the next 10 years. And if we go back to the if we go back to the definition of the post-libertarian moment from earlier, it's it's, it's all about it's it's also it has a lot to do with the idea that, you know, a popular a popular solution the idea of millions of people in a democracy voting for a specifically libertarian candidate so you know and actually winning a national election of some kind so that so that's that's part of what this is being driven towards a narrow libertarianism focuses on just the state and not paying not paying attention to tyranny by the way a lot of lib- good libertarians do focus on the corporate tyranny but it, you know it's it there needs to be a recalibration and a rebalancing of how that looks a narrow libertarianism focuses on opposition to the duopoly while ignoring the incentive of power and a narrow libertarianism defends an unrealized ideal online but scoffs at the idea of taking steps to make so much money taxation is a nuisance it this is you can also you know actually as i'm reading this the narrow libertarianism can also be tied very well to the idea of a corporate libertarian or what some people would call a regime libertarian. It's based there. And, and you see this, you actually, this maps on quite well, right? Because the libertarianism that's only concerned with the duopoly, right? Or the libertarianism that's only concerned with, uh, with like being the best and like having the best argument for something that libertarianism does it, that libertarianism by is is doesn't work sorry i lost my train of thought there for a second the libertarianism that's so focused on 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 having the best argument without worrying about how to implement it is by definition a libertarianism that doesn't work because is is too rational here it goes sorry i found it is too rational a position 
to maximize across the population. And I've said this as well in my critiques, by the way, if you don't listen, if you don't listen every week, which you really should go to binawake.com and subscribe. But this is something else I've said. It's this idea that, you know, it's, it's, it's again, going back to the compromise, it was a compromise for pol- for pol- political that made a lot of sense, but it's too, it was maybe too, it's too academic. And so when you try to maximize that across the population, it's very difficult to actually express it again in this idea, in this narrow sense of what libertarianism is. So let's talk about what I think the divide is. And this is very important. Well, it's all important, right? Because this is the end of the essay. Many will frame the current debate. And it's funny because it's what's nice about how I did this is like, this has very much, this split, right, has already kind of happened. I can't imagine many people who are all in on the LPMC are listening to this unless I go and cause a stink afterwards about it you know, or post something trying to be derogatory against them. And I'm not, and that's just not how I roll. Still, still might though for the clicks. We'll find out, see if I find anything good in here. But when I was writing this, it was certainly the case. That a lot of people were viewing it as between the Praxians or the post-libertarians as the, and the LPMC. And that's how a lot of people were framing it. And that the Praxians were the ones criticizing rank and file LPMC members who want to help their community and fight for human freedom. This is a lie. It is a lie to say that any of the critiques that were presented in this essay and by people associated with the word were meant to belittle at large the guy who wanted to go and help his community and who then said, you know what? I'm a libertarian. I'm going to join the libertarian party. That was me. That is exactly what that was exactly my reasoning. The divide in the liberty movement is not between the hundreds of LPMC members and the dozen or so Praxians. The divide in the liberty movement is between those who would want to take political power and those who want to make a political statement. Libertarians who are caught in a past moment believe it matters more that a pure libertarian message is broadcast, then who will listen to the message? The libertarian who wants to make a political statement is the libertarian only concerned with other libertarians. Politically speaking, this is a losing message because most people won't end up libertarians. Most people don't have the interest in political systems and economics that libertarians do. And therefore, most people will never concern themselves with a political identity beyond a default categorization. For the libertarian who wants to make a political statement, this means their activist endeavors are ultimately masturbatory. Libertarians helping libertarians say libertarian things. The libertarian who wants to take political power by contrast, we might also say become an authority, understands that if you want to help the millions of politically disenfranchised Americans who are part of the awakening right, you shouldn't sound like the preachy progressive left. The insights of libertarianism, namely the nature of the state, 
and Austrian economics are powerful weapons in the battle for human freedom and flourishing. The ideas are nothing without things like wealth, power, community, influence, and coalitions providing support. The libertarian who wants to take political power is a libertarian concerned with people whether or not they identify as a libertarian. Mass conversion is not required to be a good member of your community and run for local office. Being the one people turn to in a crisis is worth infinitely more than being a consistent libertarian with no power. If libertarians do not learn this message and choose the path of political statements over the path of political power, the idea of human freedom may die in a generation. That's the divide. See, this really has nothing to do with whether people want to take over the political party. And, and in fact, I would argue this has kind of been the thing that has happened go as as long as there's been an idea of libertarianism. I've said I've said it this way a couple of times. Like if you had said in 2008, you know, what should you do? Most people would say, well, run as a Republican, right? Even if you're a libertarian. And it's only recently that people think that the Libertarian Party is the way to go. I, not to say there aren't exceptions, but in the main, I th- think at this, at this uh, uh, shout out in the chat, Nick, uh, the essay is posted at postlibertarianmoment.com. You can go there and get download the whole thing at the bottom. There's a little button. Uh, you can also just go onto the Substack. It's been, I've kind of posted it over the last few weeks. So you can kind of see, I have the same, uh, I have the same, the headstone here lies libertarianism. We were neither right nor left is uh, if you see that picture in the Substack, that's a part of the essay. So you can do that. And there's also a link to download the essay, I think in there as well. Um, where was I? We're talking about the divide. I think in, again, with exception, this isn't to say, but, uh, but just, <laughs> this is the way it is, man. This is this is the thing that I said I've had to have been dragged kicking and screaming to this, right? But it's and it's funny how it's kind of a full circle thing. It's just but with a completely different perspective of like if you want to be involved in politics, and that is the that is the question here. That's the question that started me down this path, by the way. Because it was I was very comfortable sitting on the sidelines just saying what a libertarian how much better libertarian solutions would be for things. Right. When people would would ask or, you know, you would talk about it. I was very comfortable with that position. And then, well, and then 2020 happened. It is one of those inflection moments that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. It will have long reaching consequences as normal as things feel right now. You still see the signs, especially at the airport. There's long there's long reaching consequences to the lockdowns of 2020. The quite the, it's really a matter of how much can you fight back against it, and you know, probably can, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So that so again, that is also a big part of this is that we have this major what will be a major historical event occurring, and how does your perspective on things shift in response to that, and should it shift? I think it should. And so I think when you look at a system like the United States, where it's a winner take all method trying to work outside of the third outside of a third party that doesn't even have ballot access in 50 states is is absurd
So it's the people. So the so the but the people who want to make a political statement don't care about that because it's not about doing anything for them. And I don't blame people who want to make political statements. I make political statements all the time as a podcaster and as a writer. Right? I have said very clearly from the beginning I am not interested in running for office at the moment. I don't like like I I it's just not within my lifestyle. But for a lot of people I think it could be. You know, and and I want to encourage people who are interested in that and not and not shoo them away from it or think that oh well if you're not a true libertarian if you don't do this the the way through the LP I think that's dumb. And again, going just to the just to the nuts and bolts of it, you know, it, a lot of a lot of times they don't their infrastructure isn't worth it. So it's it's a sentimental thing, and I understand that sentimental thing. It's what I believed. I've just changed my perspective as I started looking at things closely. And and part of looking at things closely was okay. I'm going to work in political organizing, right? Like I am going to try and do this political game. I had, I love political analysis. I like, again, I, I enjoy making political statements, but I'm going to try and figure out how myself or other people are going to win political office. Because if you're not winning political, if you're not winning the offices, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your message is. And that's a really, that's a really tough pill to swallow for people who are just interested in making political statements. So the divide is between those people and those people who would do that and, and call it political act, you know, and, and, and think it's making and, and think that that's what moves the needle. You know, there are certain things that every business, uh, like Elon Musk had the thing recently where he talked about how there really only needs to be a president and like a chief financial officer in a corporation. Those are the only legally recognized terms. And so all the other, all the other titles, CEO, CIO are kind of made up. And of course he's right. I saw something else about how, if you can't say your job in three words, you don't really do anything. And I think that's right too, by and large. But the point I want to make is that, you know, in a, in a business, if you're not bringing in dollars, right? If you don't, if your business isn't making money, then you're not in business. And in, and in politics, if you're not winning elections, you're not really doing politics, are you? By the way, yes, the system is corrupt and it's set up against you. That's what we're going to get into as we move into the prescription. Because guess what? I hate this thing. It's the current year. But it, you know, my whole life, I, my whole life, I've been listening to people talk about how the system is corrupt. And nobody ever seems to want to work with that as their modus, as the way they interact with the world. Right? Like, they like to say it, but then, you know, we still can vote for a president and that president represents the will of the people. How'd that work out for the Canadians electing their prime minister, by the way? If libertarians are to be the standard bearers of human freedom and liberty, they must evolve to suit the times. This begins by making ourselves better. In other words, clean your damn room. Put another way, secure your own liberty before trying to help other people. It is the egalitarian delusion of the left that says someone in their early 20s can affect political change the same as an established entrepreneur in their 30s. There is nothing simplistic or reductionist about beginning with self-improvement. Anyone who understands Austrian business cycle theory knows that a market correction will occur and that shortages won't be the worst economic issues of the next decade. Of course, we're living through a time of, of rapid inflation right now. 
And that's that we've had a pretty inflationary environment for, again, going on the better part of a century, really, if you want to look at it. So everyone understands that a market correction is going to occur. If libertarians are the ones, if you could, right, because like this is, this is, again, this is the part where I'm speaking to libertarians and myself are the ones, if libertarians are the ones who can help their neighbors during hard times, people will notice that. You don't need to be a billionaire, but you do need to be stable and reasonably self-sufficient for people to listen to you. It's in our DNA. It's like coded into us that you're going to trust, you, you should trust somebody who's more stable than not. You can, you can like train yourself to not listen to that, right? Or, or you could have like an example of somebody who's highly unstable and an authority figure. And so therefore you would interpret unstable behavior as being authority, as being the authority. But like there is, but then there'll still be something about that person who's put together just, just in the basic of thing, basic of senses and you know, you, how you'll react to somebody like that. If you pay close enough to your, your behavior, you will notice this and you'll notice it in other people too. Without this first step of making sure that you're in a good position, again, this is, this is one of those sections where I'm really speaking to myself. Without this first step, political power, but other people should learn from it. Without this step, political power will continue to elude libertarians and the world will sink further into this tyrannical chaos that is shaping the beginning of the 21st century. If you have accomplished the first step, the next step is easy. You either run a campaign, you run for local office, or you contribute financially to campaigns that are adopting, for example, an anti-tax framework or other radical measures to defend liberty. By contrast, the current LP strategy is designed to take over the bureaucracy of the party. The current LP strategy is foot, as put forth by the LPMC. In a business... A sale is what moves the needle. In politics, holding, holding office moves the needle. Put another way, your support staff is meant to help the war effort, not lead it. Most of human history is awash. There are few times where a dedicated minority can change the trajectory of humanity. The long march through the institutions have proven how easily you can change culture when you hold positions of power. In order to win the war, we must become personally ambitious and politically pragmatic for the cause of liberty. If this means losing the title libertarian as we lost the title liberal, so be it. I would rather be one of the free than the millions on their knees. And so ends the post-libertarian moment defined. There are a few times where a dedicated minority can change the trajectory of humanity. And I think a lot of those people like things like Austrian economics. And I think that the people who would call themselves libertarians should understand that their place isn't in an ivory tower above the people, but with the people. But with, the, but with the person, with the normal human being who isn't obsessed about economics and political theory.
because we because those people need to exist and those people are good and they need help understanding the world because specialization means not everybody is going to have a good political analysis that's again why binawake.com exists as an oasis really from the from the cable news down your throat the cable news down your throat, anger triggering format. That's why, you know, we tr- I try to be funny on Twitter, but you can even, even just, you know, the Twitter roundups are good. The Twitter roundups that I'm putting out are like basically capturing the news cycle of a week, more or less, at least the bigger stories. And of course you can just follow my tweet, my feed, because there's a lot more tweets that I don't put in those. I try, you know, I try to be selective. Because we have to, for better or worse, we're always going to have to interpret current events. So it matters who's doing the interpreting. And the point here, speaking to libertarians, is that if you're somebody who's studied Austrian economics and libertarian theory as associated with people like Mises, Rothbard, Hoppe, Hayek, and yes, I'm going to put those people together. I'm not really concerned about petty arguments that happened 60 years ago. It's being a tad minimizing for effect, if you couldn't tell. But like, but you know, if if you're somebody who's of the this tradition, you shouldn't be secluding yourself or thinking that the rest of the world is going to be like you. And the people who are at the top, right? The people who hold positions of authority should start to transmit that message as well. That there's nothing wrong with somebody disagreeing with you on politics in in particulars. Right. But like if you guys have general agreements, that's a good thing. And you can educate them on the more technical aspects of what is your philosophy. It's kind of like a scarf. (laughs) Well, it's the fedora, right? Like that's the that's isn't that the neck beard kind of like the the troll, the way to talk bad about libertarians. But it's kind of like a scarf. It's it's, it's kind of like a scarf, a scarf or like a pocket square or something like that, that it can put together an outfit. And, and, I, and I, I pointed out two key, like I said, namely, right, two key things, the definition of the state and generally speaking, the school, the Austrian school of economics. You put, the, you put those things in an outfit and it's like, and you're ready to go. You're dressed to the nines. I think you put those things under the right, in the right political vehicle, right? A vehicle that's act, that actually has some horsepower, which is to say people behind it, because for better or worse, we live in a democratic system at the moment. I think you put the you try to you try to put those ideas in a vehicle that exists, right? That becomes the fuel. You don't try to build. I just don't think there's. I just don't think you can build a better mousetrap. And you can't build a better mousetrap for a few. For you can't build a better mousetrap for a couple of reasons. One, you actually might be able to. But and I think and I think by the way, in fact, you know, to the extent that this deals with the LPMC, because I don't really talk about the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus a lot anymore on the show especially after having written this, but this in particular deals with it. I've said this a few times on other people's shows that specifically the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus ha- already has the infrastructure in place to affect political change and taking over the Libertarian Party is redundant. I think, and, 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 the, and that goes to what I was saying before about the problem with trying to take over the bureaucracy. You're actually trying to take over the part of an organization that doesn't move the needle. So, so what you'll effectively accomplish is just taking over that bureaucracy and maintaining a status quo within that bureaucracy. 
that will be that will be the effect. It might have better messaging, but that will be the effect. Because you're not because you're not investing per se. You could say it, it whatever. You're not investing per se in the resources that would actually move the needle and in politics moving the needle is winning a political election. That's how it starts. Or, you know, you could say like getting a referendum passed. And of course, people have done that within the LPMC. I'm not saying they can't. And that's precisely my point is those those are the people who need to be invested in. And so you shouldn't be wasting time trying to take over a political party. Now, I can't stop people. So what I've said on other shows, just wrapping this up is and I don't mean to be I don't I don't mean to be redundant. It's just one of those things where I have spent a good bit of time talking about this on other shows. So I don't want to repeat myself, but I should give it its proper due. What I've said, I don't think I can stop the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus from trying to take over the Libertarian Party. And in fact, I think they can. And kudos on them for setting out and accomplishing their goal. I don't think that it's going to I don't think that it's going to turn into an immediate sweep of gold or whatever color it would be of libertarians being elected to state houses within the next couple of years. And I think you could have that happen more in the next couple of years if you focused more on training people now and not doing all this uh, delegation of response. Again, trying to take over the bureaucracy. But, but to the point is, you know, then I think what they should do is change the rules of the LP so that Dave Smith can, you know, run in the Republican primary to try and bring more eyeballs to the mission. Because, of course, the reason that's the whole point of taking over the Libertarian Party, right, is getting Dave Smith to run for president. And I would agree with that. I think he should. I think I, because I like the ideas and I want him to talk about them by and large. I just don't think I just don't think doing it as the Libertarian candidate will. I think it will end up it will end up. um well, it just, you know, it, it won't work, right? It can't work. But what could work better is running as a Republican first and count, you know, and being on the stage with all the stuffed suits that don't know what they're talking about and then switching to the libertarian uh, the libertarian election for the primary. Now, of course, to that, people have said they're sore loser laws, to which I say it doesn't matter. The LP doesn't have voting rights in all 50 states right now as it is, and they're about to invest tens of thousands of dollars trying to take it over. Why not spend tens of thousands of those dollars giving people coaching lessons on leadership and how to run for political office and, and targeting those people all throughout the country? Because again, the infrastructure and the network exists. So that's my, that's my appeal because I'm not, you know, I'm not within that anymore. You're right. I'm here in my position as a writer, as a podcaster, as a guy on the internet, which is which is where I want to be, to to be fair, right? Um But so that so but I I you know, again, this is a very much for the record kind of show in that I in that I said I set out on the show that I was going to join the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and help it take over the Libertarian Party. But you're not going to find bashing on my on my end because you know again that's just not really my style. I just I just think I've I think I've got this pegged, and it's one of those things that we're going to find out. We're really going to find out whether I'm right or not eventually. And to review something said earlier in the essay, can they take over the party? Yes. Should they? No. To me, it's it's kind of a business decision. You just take the sentiment out of it. I want to end the show today though on a little bit of um on a little bit of where things are going then on on anyway I am going to try I'm going to start writing another long form essay that I will hopefully release within a couple of months uh I'm you know this is a nice way of holding myself to that 
but I'm going to start working on another long form essay that I'll then kind of release slowly over time as well. In addition to the content of covering news, philosophy, and mindset on the pages have been awake, uh, you know, a few times a week, plus the show. So I say at the end, in order to win the war, you, we must become personally ambitious and politically pragmatic for the cause of liberty. If this means losing the title libertarian as we lost the title liberal, so be it. I would rather be one of the free than the millions on their knees. By personally ambitious, I mean, I'm going to get to the questions in just a second from Twitter. By personally ambitious, I mean just that. You should want more for, for your life, right, than you have currently. You should be ambitious and you should achieve the things you want. If that thing is a family, then it should be a family. If that thing is traveling the world, I'd say that's a little droll. But, you know, I, I said this recently, like traveling isn't all it's cracked up to be. Like it's fun. Don't get me wrong. And I know that and people say, oh, you do it for work. So it's different. It's not it's not like traveling all over. It it all has the same elements. There, it's like traveling is kind of this like dream that's inserted into people's minds. And, you know, and like, and it's like, it's, and it's, and it's something they can think, always think about doing and always thinking it's fun and never get to do. And then like, that still makes them feel good. So anyway, so being personally ambitious and that's an, and it's an important, and I think that's something that should be encouraged. I would say, not that I wasn't encouraged by people close to me, but there is an element of, um, you know, tamping, tampering down on your ambition and like being you know, excelling at the things that you're good at that can happen to some people in, in certain environments. So if you need that encouragement, let this be that encouragement of go for it. Go for the thing you want to do. If you want to be a writer or a podcaster like I, I like I want to start, build yourself a little studio and start doing it on a regular basis and you'll be surprised what can happen. Not that I have any kind of great success right now, but I get so much enjoyment out of this. And I think for the people who are listening, they see the, they see the benefit of that news philosophy and mindset. So that's number one, be personally ambitious. And we're going to flesh these ideas out more because this is all about, this is a lot about turning the page, the end of this essay. The second is being politically pragmatic. Now by that, I, there is, there are two ways you can interpret that. You can interpret pragmatism as supporting the powers that be, which is, which is how most people, especially in, in, in a libertarian party context, would think of the term pragmatic. But when I, I'm using the term pragmatic here in the sense of using the system as it exists and not thinking that you can change a super complicated system from the margin. You have to work your way to the center. Otherwise, you have no idea, A, how big the thing it is that you're within, but also like you know where the edges are. Because once you find your way to the center, it's a circle, right? Geometric holding on to geometry as we try to map out ideas as much as possible. Um, if you're in the center of a circle and you know you're in the center, then you know that it's you know same direction in all, in all. It's the same in all directions. That's what I mean by being politically pragmatic is understanding that, okay, if I have to run as a Republican and work with people who I don't like, well, first you might want to question why you don't like those people. And second, you might want to then question why you're bothering to get into politics in a democratic system if you're not going to work with people you don't like. Because that's that's how it works <laughs> um, for, for better or worse and in worse in many cases. And that's the whole thing is if you don't want to do, if you don't want to do the political thing, dude, don't do the political thing, but don't pretend you're doing the political thing and have people invest their time and resources so that, you know, you can pretend to do the political thing. I, I that I don't like you go to, you go to binawake.com slash subscribe. You know what you're getting. You're going to get me running my mouth and writing really interesting things. 
that's the value prop. I write very interesting and original things and hopefully they make sense and hopefully they help they help bring some perspective to a very complicated news cycle that we all live through. So that's what I mean by being politically pragmatic. It's not about acquiescing power. It's it's but it's understanding that power exists and trying to build it as Curtis Yarvin would say. So I did say and uh vid Viginti, it's funny. It's one of those things that you read. Viginti Trace. I did say in the, um, I did say when I when I tweeted this that I would answer questions, and there were two. So the first one was from you, good sir. And you, of course, you can follow him at uh, Viginti underscore three S V I G I N T I. Uh, how would you explain to your homeschooled kids why there are gay men and women kissing in the latest released animated movie you just watched in theaters? Um, my kids will have HBO max, so they won't go to the theater. No, uh, no. Um, I mean, I'm, so I am not a dad. Uh, I am not close to being a father. So I'll just, just from that perspective, I honestly, but, but honestly, like my honest answer would be in, in the way it would, I would wait probably until my kid came up with, you know, asked right about it. Like, Oh, why is that happening? And I would probably give a very blase answer of like, sometimes guys kiss guys, and then maybe when they're older, I would talk about what somebody who's gay is. Um, I don't, I think, you know, I think what you bring up though is a very good point of what you expose your children to and how it's, it is a no, and, and, and the sexualization, the sexualization aspect of it is again, it's, I don't think it's just a consequence of my paying closer attention to things. I think it's, um, I think it's something that's stepped up. It's it, that that it's that it's definitely increased, right? Whatever frequency that is has been like maximized over the last few years, and I think there's some, you know, you could even say there's some uh, some some like marketing. There, there's like kind of some marketing behind that, right? The idea of in an oversaturated market, how do you differentiate your product? And like one of those things that people react to, you know, people. What are what are strong reactions you can get from people? Well, anger is one, and disgust is another. Um, and anger and dis- and I think and I think inherently the sexualization of children. I'm actually I'm actually working on a piece in my mind. It will be written out soon enough, probably by the end of the week, about kind of like checking in on the culture war. That's that's going to talk about some of this stuff. But like I what I what I do agree with is the is like the it, it's it's this weird. It is the over sexualization that they do. And and I think again part of that you could even you could trace to something like okay something like um. Like I said, just, oh, I'm trying to make the most shocking product I can so that people click on it. And it's like, all right, but clearly that's, again, why you need something like a morality to to restrain unbridled, like unbridled avarice or greed or whatever you might be, right? That's like the whole concept of it is to not, that's why I talk about things in terms of calibration. So I think it needs to be calibrated. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I would probably just keep it very calm. And then I was even, cause I was thinking about this question and be like, oh, well, you know, if your kid asks if you're gay, it's like, probably not. But if you are, that's cool. Um, you know, I think we'll, uh, hopefully, well, not maybe hopefully by the time I have kids, cause I'd actually like that to be sooner rather than later. But, you know, I think, I think there are ways of talking about it that don't, that you can, um, I'd like to think parents can do the job of kind of walking the tightrope, but maybe they can't, and maybe they won't. And that's where you'll start. Hopefully we'll start to see better ways of, um, entertaining kids. And, and I will, but I will say that's something that I'm like more clued into now as an adult that like, it's like, like what? what goes into somebody's and i think and i think there's actually an element to where um this this co- the concept of like the corporate creator and the authentic creator relate to this as well 
Uh, I've I've expressed that a couple other places. You can go and find it probably. Um, But suffice it to say, like what I'm trying to drive at is like what happens when a corporation says, all right, my job is to entertain children. And like what what kind of person ends up in that role? of like entertaining children. That's something that's like, I've gotten older and still realize that they're making kids shows on a regular basis is like, cause like when you're growing up, you don't think about it because this show is for me. Right. So like, that's a good thing, obviously. But then I think of the fact that there's like a dude out there who's my age or older, who's like writing the script for Barney. Right. Or not even Barney, more like the Nickelodeon shows because of the, that what's, what's his face dude. Right. With the out with there, you know, there's like those YouTube videos you can watch um, with like the foot stuff. But like, you know, you start, I start to think about that. Right. Or, or here's another one. What kind of and, and like, you know, obviously clear exception if you have a daughter and she's into sports and you can be, and you become a coach. I would be like, you know, like like if a guy isn't married and doesn't have kids, like how do you end up? And, you know, he ends up like coaching girls sports. It's kind of like teenage girls sports. Like that's kind of weird, you know? Like there are these little things that you that 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 I think of more now as an adult that I didn't really think of as a kid. And and as it relates to kids programming and the way that they push sexualization on them, right? Because if you think of like a traditional if you think of a traditional fairy tale, there might be what? There's like the one big kiss between the main characters, right? Whereas now we have to be like, uh, you know, everything there. But I will say, by the way, um, you know, if it's two girls kissing, it's not gay. Everybody knows that. That's humor. Um, the other thing I had was from my boy Carlos at Los Libertinos, uh, Paloma Verde CBD. I don't have a promo code, but I do need to buy their product. So he said, what is the post libertarians take on immigration? Is it puto party or no party? Um, fair answer. LB. Thanks. Building a family is one of my primary goals right now. And thinking things like modern media that my future kids will be exposed to is a huge concern to me. Here's the other part of that too, is you can do a good, I think, I think the important thing is to strike a balance. Um, I was raised where I couldn't watch certain TV shows for a long period of time, right? Like, and we're talking like basic, you know, like cable, like basic stuff on cable that, that kids in my classes were watching, right? Like I, it was, we were very relegated for a long period of time for that. But then like you would have, but then we would still go and see some popular movies, right? Like, you know, I was one of those kids that I couldn't see a PG 13 movie really before I was 13. And for a lot of that, I'm actually grateful. And I think the important thing is to not make it a, um, to not make it a repressive environment because I had, I like had friends where it was more of a repressive environment. You know, the point, it wasn't so much that we weren't watching what they put on the news because it's, it's evil. It's like, yeah, no, we just don't do that in this house. This is how we live. You know, other people live the way they, this, you know, it's just kind of how I was raised, right? Other people live the way we live. They live. We live the way we live, right? There are certain things that go with being who we are as people. So I think, um, you know, and I think it's, and again, I think it's a balance and, you know, in that it it would obviously kind of boil down to making sure you have a partner who's supportive in those things. I think, I think you can air one way. I think you can go too far one way or the other. The the problem we face is right now where we are kind of in the cycle, if you will, is that everything is so amped up that I, I don't envy people who are trying to raise young children right now. It is, um, it is not easy. Um, so anyway, back to Carlos's question on, uh, so I don't know what everybody's take on immigration is, but I'll just give mine. I, the kind of within the theme of recalibration, like open open or closed borders is a misnomer. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, generally speaking, I think in that, you know, you want to try and create an American ethic, 
I think there's something to immigration in the American culture. However, what we have today is not that not that immigration system. And I think there is a game being played at the highest levels of society, that game being how many migrants can we pump into an economy to keep it afloat? Right. Because you're like you're 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 just always importing cheap labor so that you can kind of maintain a certain status quo. So I think there's an element of that. However, I don't. But like at the other side, just given my family's history, like I also don't fault people for doing it, <laughs> you know, like and I don't fault people for 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 breaking the law as it exists. And I might very well do the same thing in their situation. And so it's a tough element at play. The point I think to make is that the system is not designed to work in a very real way, right? Like formally speaking, the system is not designed to work in that manner at all. It's not, it's meant to, it's meant to be that kind of a wedge issue, but in general, that wedge issue is based off of a lie, right? Where you have the left saying that every rare, every person on the right is a xenophobe. And so the right eventually says, well, fine, I'm a xenophobe. You understand? Cause it's not the case. Cause like if you pull most people's like, yeah, you know, if people have family here or if they got a job and they want to come work, nobody cares. And I'll, I'll tell a quick story on this. Cause it's kind of, it was kind of interesting. I was at a, I was at a business dinner. It was very early in the job that I have right now. And I had the, I had, I thankfully had the wherewithal to just sit there, drink and be quiet. Um, be, and you know, just cause, and not to get into a fight and or try to like outsmart the guys at the table who are 30 years older than me or whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. Especially as like the new guy representing a company. So like, but so what I did was I listened and eventually someone, someone starts to talk politics and, you know, an immigration shows up and, and this is the way the conversation always goes. It t- can go in these situations, right? Especially you might say for more marginally people on the right or conservatives. And it went something like this. It was like, oh yeah, man, I can't believe they're coming over the border like that. It's ridiculous. I can't believe they're breaking the law, but you know, <clears throat> but we got Jose and Jose is awesome. You know, he works, he's on a, he's on a, he's on a green card, but he's one of our best employees. Love that guy. So it's just like, it's this natural, again, that's just like kind of a natural disconnect. There's the disembodied other, and then there's the person you actually know. And so what the media cycle does driven by the left is basically say, we have to have hundred percent open borders. We might say in this outdated, cali- uh, this outcalibrated model, right? We have to have hundred percent unrestricted uh, immigration. It's like, really a hundred percent? That seems excessive. It's like, oh, well, you're a xenophobe who doesn't want to let anybody. And it's like, well, I, it's not that I said that. Oh, so you agree with me. We need to let people into this country. You see, that's, that's the cult of American democracy, that back and forth that exists. And this is about, this is about de- the show is about demystifying the cult of American democracy. And so, like, I think, in a, I think, I think I've, I've also said that, like, let's remove the word immigration and talk in t- terms of human migration. Because human migration is is like you can you can trace that back before civilization, whereas immigration is very much a modern of modern context as well. Um, another point I made recently too is about the borders that you defend are the borders that are are your actual external borders, and I don't think from the perspective of the U.S. government that um, that that Mexico is a foreign border, right? They see they see uh, the, the importing of that labor and that class, you know, and, and, the, and the immigrant classes part of the American experience in a real way. And listen to the progressives. That's exactly what they'll tell you. So uh, got some people here. So let's, that's very exciting. Um, on a related note, ask the LP MC what the LP stance should be on social issues, especially the alphabet soup issues. And is virtually indistinguishable from the current LP stances. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I, I mean, it's, uh, I, 
it's yeah, but, but that's, but, and that, but that's a part of it. Right. And that goes again to that, that lecturing aspect. And of course we're, it, what's also interesting about that is, is the case to which it's not like you don't see a large, uh, gay representation within the modern conservative movement, right? It very much the, and I, you know, maybe I have a different position than other people. Cause I don't really, I don't take exception to the idea of like gay people having a place within society. Maybe call me a, call me a victim of, of the time I was raised and I'm not really concerned. Um, that, you know, that's separate from the larger question of like the LGBTQ plus left, you know, like the, that, that thing that we see of like drag kids and stuff. That's a, that's a different thing from the conversation I'm having that I just said. Right. Um, but yeah, but, but I think, I think to the point is what, what you see again in that specific instance is there's two types of people and gay people fall along these lines as well of like, everything about me has to be about the fact of how queer I am or I'm just a person with other interests and this happens to be my sexual proclivity. Yeah. Right. So it's like one of those, one of those has control. The other one doesn't. And, and I feel for people kind of caught in the center of it. And it, uh, so more and more on that. Cause I said, like I'm working on a piece that kind of deals with that. Uh, that's how you tell when the LPMC takes over, nothing's really going to change. I, I, I don't disagree with you. It's also a matter of, it's also a matter of how you're differentiating your product too. Right. And again, who you're alienating. So, you know, when you, what you're, what you're alienating, if you take on the left wing, the, the, the popular corporate left wing rainbow coalition type talking points, when you take on those kinds of things, you're alienating a huge portion of the population who agrees with you on other issues like, you know, like economic policy or like, uh, you know, defense and guns and blah, 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 blah. Right. So what, what is it worth? What is it worth to me? to have like to have the you know a political party that that takes on that nomenclature i'm not interested in it and the people in my life know me for who i am so i'm not really concerned with uh you know i'm not i'm not concerned with being called like being called names because of for taking a position like i am uh it's hayek why the worst get on top applied to pedophiles great point um fair answer thank you we talked about that in my opinion immigrants are designed to destroy the libertarian concept of liberty specifically the ones from third world country that's coming from me a third world country immigrant in america i love it but you're not wrong right and um i think uh well and i think what i think the important i think i think this is a good this will be a good place to end it on but in particular we like what we it's kind of like um like i've said recently that so like france is on its like fifth republic or whatever but like America's only supposedly had one constitution. But if you look at it in an anti-formal way, if we don't just say, oh, this is the constitution, it's been this way since 1787, we can see that we're actually on, <coughs> we're on like our second or third, perhaps going on our fourth different version of America, right? Like different operating system, if you will. And so I think there's, um, you know, what, here's one thing that's true. The native class does not like the immigrant class at any point in human history. Right. That's pretty, that's pretty fair. You know what I mean? It was like that with the Irish and Italians and now the Irish and Italians don't like the new, new waves of immigrants. Um, and it's also the case that given enough time, people will assimilate and like, and most, this is, this is the funny thing is if you're outside of like the university or like the university system, or like if you live outside of a left-wing mindset or environment, you see this all the time because there are second, third generation Mexican Americans who hate the fact that or, or other or other first or second generation immigrants and refugees who hate the fact that the system is being abused right now. And by the way, 
It's a problem that the system is being abused. That's the point is the U.S. government is not concerned with fixing the system. If they were, it would be fixed because it's right. Because the point is to keep it broken. Milton Friedman uh, for Milton Friedman, who was not a radical, pointed this out very well. Right. About how about how mass immigration serves the the business elites and political elites incentive structure. So it's so it's it's not. But it but but what. But what I think you can still have in that is inside of that is human compassion for people, because by the way, it's sometimes it's compassionate to say, no, you can't come like, no, don't don't cross a country just for the offhand chance that you can wash dishes here. Because our government is, you know, because and here's and this is, again, where I'm still I still have the libertarian in me. Right. Because our government has been fighting a drug war in your country for years and emboldening the cartel. The insta what's 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 terrifying to start to grapple with is that the instability is is part of what they're looking for. I said recently in a voice chat that you know what re, like reality like people are taught people you know Lex Friedman right tweets out that you know it's getting harder to tell what's true and that's that's not the case. It's always been difficult to tell what's true. You just haven't been paying close enough attention. Partly in part because you've been paying attention to other things, right? Lex Friedman knows far more about AI than I probably ever will be able to grasp. But, you know, perhaps given specialization, somebody like me might have a better grasp of how news cycles function and how that influences behavior. It's not getting it's reality is like a thousand people on a tightrope. And nine hundred ninety nine of them are looking forward. And what's happening is the people who have been just looking straight forward, never left, never right, never up, never down are now looking down and they're realizing that they're walking on a tightrope, hundreds of hundreds of feet up in the air. And if they make one small move, it's all over, but that's the thing. That's what life is. It is a tightrope and you're going to slip one day and it's going to be all over. So what do you do in that time period? Right? Do you make political statements pretending you're taking political action and taking political power? I should say not. Do you improve yourself and pursue your passions? I should say yes. Do you be ambitious in your careers? I should say yes. Do you try to be the best person you can? I should say yes. And I would hope you do too. See, this is about turning the page and seeing how we're going to live and how what freedom looks like in a post-libertarian world. That's going to do it for the episode, guys. Share this. Share this with your libertarian friends and follow me on Twitter at the LB Muniz. If you like what you heard today, go to binawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.